Our scripture passage this morning is Matthew 8, 1 through 17. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that we would come behold this wondrous mystery. God, show us more of Christ, that he has all authority, he has all power, and that he is willing and that he is qualified to heal us and to mend this broken world. Would you edify us through the preaching of your word? Would you guide my mouth as I teach? Would your spirit go forth and bring new life? In Jesus' name we, I pray, amen. A very sick man needs to have critical surgery. So what's he do? He does what every sick man does, and he goes to the hospital. He's laying there in the hospital bed, and the first person to come into his room is his wife. And she says, baby, I love you. I wish I could heal you. There's not much I can do, but I don't know how to heal you. And so the sick man remains sick. The next person to come into the room is a doctor. The doctor comes in and rushes in. He says, sir, I can heal you. I have the power to do so, but I've got to see other patients. I've got to leave. And the man remains sick. And then a third person comes into his room 
which is his son who is a pre-med student. And he says, Dad, I love you. I want to heal you. I'm pretty sure I could do this surgery, but I'm not qualified to do this surgery in this hospital. So the man remained sick. So the wife was willing, but lacked the power or qualifications to heal him. The doctor had the power and the qualifications to heal him, but was unwilling. The son had the power and was willing, but lacked the qualifications. So with no one having the power, the willingness, or the qualifications to heal him, the man eventually dies. And we as the human race are like this man. We have the greatest need, and we need someone who has the power, someone who is willing, and someone who is qualified to heal us. In our passage today in Matthew 8, 1 through 17, Matthew shows us that Jesus is this someone. So to catch us up to speed, it's so good being back in the book of Matthew. <laughs> catch us up to speed, we were just in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has just preached the greatest sermon in history. He completely flips our view of the kingdom, right? He says things like, flourishing are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Flourishing are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He teaches that he hasn't come to overthrow the law, but to fulfill it. He says to a bunch of blue-collar, redneck fishermen that they are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. He says, in order to flourish, you need to have new hearts. He says, in order to be truly rich, you have to store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. He says, in order to thrive spiritually, you don't pound your chest while praying these glamorous prayers, but simply talk to your father in private. He says, in order to not be anxious, you need to trust God, not yourself. He says, in order to gain, you need only ask your Father in heaven. And he says, the spiritual value of a person is not their words, but what's in their heart. After saying such countercultural things, the last verses in Matthew 7 tell us that the crowds were amazed because he taught as someone who had authority. Someone who has authority. So here we are. Jesus comes down from the mountain and goes to a place called Capernaum. And after showing his authority through his words in the Sermon on the Mount, he will show us his authority by healing people. Not only does he talk the talk, but what we'll see here is that he does, in fact, walk the walk. Matthew shows us his authority by bringing his readers to three different scenes involving very sick people. We'll see that these aren't just any sick people either, but they are the socially disqualified outcasts, the least likely to be healed. In each of these scenes, Matthew shows us the same thing, that Jesus has the power, that Jesus has the willingness, and Jesus has the qualifications to heal. So let's 
dive into our first scene, the leper. Verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. We don't know the extent of this man's leprosy. And leprosy is actually a pretty broad term uh, encompassing a wide range of skin diseases. But the fact that he is called a leper here means that he is very, very sick. Sick enough to be an outcast and cut off from society. Whenever someone would happen upon this leper, if they approached him unknowingly that he was a leper, he would have to call out, unclean, unclean, so he wouldn't spread the disease. Don't get any ideas about COVID. (laughs) This man was separated from his family. He was separated from his places of worship, from his livelihood. He was living in total isolation with no hope of improvement. Until one day, along comes Jesus. This miracle worker teacher who was widely regarded as very authoritative. We know this man was so convinced of Jesus' power because he actually dared to come near to Jesus and to the crowds. We also see this because this man, he, he knows that Jesus has power because he addresses him as Lord. But no matter how powerful the leper thought Jesus was, there is still one question plaguing the back of his mind. Was Jesus willing to heal him? We see this in his statement, Lord, if you will You can make me clean. I know you can, but will you? He is convinced of Jesus' power, but doubts the Lord's willingness, which is understandable. If Jesus got too close, he or others could get very, very, very sick and resign themselves to the same fate as the leper, right? But in verse 3, the most outrageous thing happens. Look at verse (laughs) 3. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the lep- his leprosy was cleansed. So even before Jesus verbally responds, he reaches out his hand and touches the leper. The crowds and disciples would have been mortified that he did such a thing. And this probably would have been the first time in years that this leper was touched by another human being. Because you don't touch lepers. Because if you do touch lepers, you are considered ceremonially unclean by the law. But then Jesus displays his power. He shows his willingness by touching him and then displays his power that the leper knew he had. Within two words, two simple words, the man's life is forever changed. Jesus declares with all authority, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. So we see that Jesus was indeed powerful enough to heal this man. And he was in fact willing to heal this outcast But then Jesus does something else outrageous, which you need to get used to in this passage. 
Look at verse 4. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. He warns this man not to tell anyone. Pretty counterintuitive, don't you think? Wouldn't Jesus want his fame to spread since the kingdom of heaven is come and it's spreading? Wouldn't he want more people to know that it is coming? Jesus must not have been coached up by a typical American celebrity pastor. Because you got to self-promote, right? you got to get those likes and follows on Instagram and TikTok. I mean, the kingdom of heaven is here, but that's just it. It's the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of mere physical healings. It's not the kingdom of mere physical healings. Jesus doesn't want this man to spread misinformation because he knows as soon as the man tells someone, Jesus healed me, people are going to hear only the healed me part and forget the most important part, the Jesus part. He doesn't want people coming to him just for signs, fanfare, or entertainment. He wants them to come because they see him as the source, as the source of true life. And then Jesus tells the man to go show himself to the priest. Well, why? Why does he need confirmation? Well, in each of these three scenes, Matthew tacks on some sort of reference to the Old Testament. Each of these three scenes, there's some sort of Old Testament reference there at the end. Why does Matthew do this? Because, really, it's neat if Jesus is powerful enough. It's cool if he's willing. But if he's unqualified to do this, then what's the point? If Jesus is doing all this on his own self-proclaimed authority, then it doesn't mean much to the minds of his Jewish readers. Matthew uses the Old Testament to show that Jesus is, in fact, qualified. So, according to the law in Leviticus 14, if a leper wanted to be cleaned, they had to go through a very long and involved uh, ritual with no guarantee that they would be healed at the end of it. But if there was a chance they're going to be healed, they had to at least go through this ritual. At one point within this ritual, you actually had to shave off your eyebrows. Yikes. <laughs> but the peak of the, this ritual, according to the law, the peak of this ritual, you had to sacrifice a, you guessed it, a lamb. So instead of this man going through his healing ritual prescribed in Leviticus 14, Jesus fulfills this process for him. After Jesus heals him, he sends him straight to the priest to confirm it. So you can imagine him going to the priest, and the priest probably knows him as the leper, right? He's got that label. He's the social outcast, the leper dude. And the priest can say, wait, you're healed. Why didn't, why didn't you do the ritual with us? We, we didn't do the ritual with you. How did you get healed? And the man says, well, Jesus healed me. Jesus was the ritual for me. And I still have my eyebrows, suckas. 
But this is exactly what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 17. He hasn't come to abolish the law of the prophets, but to fulfill them. He fulfills the law with this man by being the sacrificial lamb necessary for this outcast to be cleaned. Matthew shows that by fulfilling the law on this man's behalf, he qualifies himself as the true healer. So now we see that Jesus, he wasn't just powerful enough or just willing, but he's also qualified by the Old Testament to have the authority to heal. Our next scene, the Roman centurion. Look at verse 5. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Our next outcast is a Roman centurion. He was stationed in Capernaum, and if he's a centurion, that means he had 100 men under his command. He had a lot of guys. He, had a man of, he was a man of authority. The Jews were under the rule of these Romans, and the Jews hated them. In the Jews' minds, these Romans were attacking God himself by holding the Jews in captivity, holding them in, in their control. This man was an outcast in the Jews' eyes because of the great hatred the Jews had for the Gentiles, but especially this Roman soldier. But even in the midst of all these hostilities and the sideways glances that he got from the crowds, this Roman centurion comes up to Jesus and lo and behold, addresses him as Lord. Again, just like the leper. Already we see this man recognizes Jesus as a man of authority. And this centurion has a problem. All he says here is that his servant is sick. And not just kind of sick, it's, it's real sick. Before this man asks anything of Jesus, Jesus shows his willingness. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Jesus is willing to heal this servant of this social outcast. But now the centurion does something very odd. Look at verse 8. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So the centurion says, listen, I recognize power when I see it. I myself am a man of power. I'm a Roman centurion. I understand the hierarchy of power. I command my servants or soldiers with one word and they obey. He recognizes Jesus as a man of authority. So much so that this very important Roman centurion doesn't see himself as worthy to even have Jesus come into his house. He recognizes Jesus as a man of authority. We should see that as well. He recognizes that Jesus outranks him. And he knows all Jesus has to do is say the word and his servant will be healed. 
He says, I believe you're so powerful that you don't even have to touch him. You can just do long distance healing. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is amazed at this unqualified social outcast's faith. You'd expect someone from God's chosen people to have this kind of faith, right? But definitely not a Roman centurion. This outdoes even the Jewish leper's faith previously. Because he's asking Jesus to not even touch this sick person. He believes in long distance healing. That he's so powerful he can just say it from right here and that person will be healed. So Jesus commends this man's faith and double-handedly rebukes the Jews. This, because this Gentile, this socially unqualified outcast shows himself to be more of a son of Abraham than even the ethnic Jews. Jesus does this by drawing out a common theme throughout the Old Testament, which we see in Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9 says this. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich Food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will, it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God we have waited for him. The nations have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. It talks about this table, this banquet. And at this banquet is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the forefathers of the Jews. But it's not just Israelites. It's not just Jews at this table. It's people from all over the world. The nations are at the feast. We also see this in Psalm 107, verses 2 and 3. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. That's basically what Jesus is saying here. Again, we see this in another passage like Isaiah 43, verses 5 through 7. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west, and I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from what? The end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Jesus shows that this, this Roman centurion, this Gentile's faith has actually been prophesied for hundreds of years. Jesus shows that the true offspring of Abraham, 
are those who have faith in Jesus. It's like Blake talked about a couple weeks ago, that God's heart has always been for the nations. From the Jews, the Savior would come. Why? To bless the nations. And this centurion's faith is a glimpse at the start of that truly happening. And not only will Gentiles come and show themselves as God's children by having faith, he he rebukes the Jews, remember, he says, the Jews who don't have faith are going to be cast into darkness. Faith in Jesus is the only way to escape this darkness. These prophecies of God gathering the nations to himself qualified Jesus as powerful enough to heal this outcast. Why? This qualifies him because this has been God's plan all along. This has been God's plan all along. That the nations would come. God's plan has always been to save the outcasts. Verse 13, and to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This centurion, this outcast Gentile who had faith in Jesus, shows that these citizens whom Jesus is gathering for his kingdom is going to be those of faith, not ethnicity. ethnicity. It's going to be those of faith. So in this scene, we see that Jesus' authority is seen in his power, in his willingness, and qualification to heal this social outcast. Our final scene is Peter's mother-in-law and others. Look at verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Although not as drastic as healing a leper by touching him or healing a Roman centurion servant from afar, still a woman wasn't necessarily on the top of the healing triage. She did, though, have something in common that these other men had. Can you guess what it was? What does she have in common with them? She was sick. She was sick. Verse 15, he touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. It doesn't even point out her faith in this text. It just says that she was sick and Jesus touched her hand and immediately the fever left her. She was healed so good that she got up and started to serve him. That's not necessarily what I want to do when I get healed. When I I get over a sickness, the last thing on my mind is go make dinner. But she was healed so immediately and so thoroughly that she, out of the sheer gratitude in her heart, goes and serves Jesus. Verse 16, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. So later that evening, many people come to Jesus. And they all bring their sick to him and he heals them. And he doesn't put on a fanfare. He doesn't pray long, glamorous prayers, no doubt like the Pharisees would have. But 
he just says a word. And the demons are cast out, showing Jesus' power. Because at the word of Jesus, no sickness can remain. We also see his willingness here as well. We see his power just through the word and through touching her hand, but we also see his willingness. He's not inconvenienced to heal these people. He goes out of his way to touch Peter's mother-in-law. And then since many came to Jesus in the evening, it was evening. Could have gotten tiresome. Usually I just want to pop open a book or pop in a movie and kick my feet up in the evening and just relax. But Jesus allows himself to be inconvenienced, so to speak, by these people because he is willing to heal them. And then finally, Matthew shows again that Jesus is qualified to do this by quoting Isaiah 53, verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So this time, Matthew doesn't just allude to Old Testament passages, but quotes one directly. This is from Isaiah 53, 4. Isaiah 53, 4 says this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Many of y'all may be familiar with this passage. This is coming from the very familiar passage called the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. But this Christ-centered prophetic passage prescribes what the Messiah was to be like. According to these verses, the Messiah will bear our griefs and sorrows. And Matthew interprets griefs and sorrows as illnesses and diseases. And we shouldn't get caught up in the differences between griefs and sorrows or illnesses and diseases. Why? Because Matthew, what Matthew is getting at is that he's going to bear the results of a broken world. That's what he's saying. It's the results of a broken world. But how? How will he heal us? We see from our passage today that Jesus does have authority to heal, which is convenient if you're a first century Jewish leper in Capernaum. But what about us? What about today? What this passage ultimately points to is Jesus' authority to bear our sin on the cross. That's what Isaiah 53 is all about. His healing power doesn't mean much if all it does is heal some physical ailments while leaving our greatest ailment left alone. What's our greatest ailment? Our sin that separates us from a righteous and holy God. But it also means that he is, he's also ushering in the kingdom when everything will be made perfect in the new heavens and the earth. So he's bearing our sin and shame on himself, which points to the cross. But also, why? We, because of the cross, the new heavens, new earth will come in. And there will be no more crying or pain anymore. You may have physical ailments now. And they could be healed now. 
but they will be healed because of the cross in the new heavens and the earth, new earth. It will be healed then. What, what Matthew is saying here is that Jesus is the balm to the bruised. He's the bandage to the broken. He's the healer. He's the medicine for the mortified. He's the healer for the hellbent. He is the tonic for the traumatized, the cure for the castaway, the doctor for the disabled and debilitated. He is the answer for the ailing, the source of strength for the sick. And praise God, he is the savior of sinners. His willingness is chiefly seen by trudging up Calvary's hill to die for you and me. His power is chiefly seen in bearing our sin on the cross and absorbing the wrath of God and then rising from the grave. And then he he is qualified to do this. Why? Because the cross has always been God's plan for healing a broken world. I wonder today, do you Believe that Jesus is powerful enough to heal you. I'm talking about your ultimate problem. Your sin before a righteous and holy God. Do you believe that he's the only one powerful enough? Or are you trusting in your own good works? I wonder today, do you believe that Jesus is willing to heal you? Maybe you think you're not good enough. Friend, join the club. Friend, the common denominator between all three of these outcasts is that all these people were sick. That's what you have to be in order to be healed by Jesus. Do you believe that you are a sick and dying sinner in need of a savior? And do you believe that Jesus is that Savior? John Piper said it best. Uncle Sam will not enlist you unless you are healthy. Jesus won't enlist you unless you are sick. Finally, I wonder if you realize that Jesus is qualified to heal you. Do you understand that this has been God's plan since the beginning of time. That he would heal all things through the cross. Now with our relationship with the righteous and holy God and then in the future in the new heavens and new earth when everything is perfect. He gave us prophecies like we have seen today as road signs throughout time pointing to the cross pointing to our need for our Savior, pointing to our debilitation because of sin. Trust these prophecies. Trust God's word. Trust him that this healing that Jesus has accomplished, it's not just a sideshow. It's not just something that's kind of tacked on. This isn't just a cherry on top. The healing that takes place on the cross is the centrality of the gospel. Friend, if you believe that you are sick with sin and need to be healed 
by Jesus. Please come talk to us. As staff members and elders will be down here at the front, please come talk to us. We love to share with you the healing that we've experienced because of Jesus. Don't let this healer pass you by. He is powerful enough. He is willing and he is qualified to save you. Believers, we still live in a world where the cross has happened, but heaven is not yet completely here on earth. So friend, run toward that day when all will perfectly be made right. Whatever ailment you are struggling with now, set it aside so that you may run the race set before you toward your healer. He, I'm talking about sin here primarily. I'm talking about sin. He is just as much of the healer now as when you first believed. Fight sin. Be healed by this healer. I think another application for us as believers is Praise him for saving you. Sing to this Savior who paid it all. Praise the one who paid your debt, who paid our debt and raised us up to life from the dead. And then final application for us as believers. Remember that you are You were these outcasts. Let's go tell the sick about this healer. Like Blake mentioned earlier, we're no better than anybody else. We're just beggars who have found bread, telling other beggars where the bread can be found. Let's go do that this week. Pray with me. God, be magnified to heal us. God, I pray that if someone does not, has not felt the touch of healing that is brought forth through Christ, I pray that they would ask. I pray that they would ask to be saved from their sins, that they would see their sin as their ultimate problem. And they would see Jesus as the ultimate healer because he has authority to do so. He has the power, he is willing, and he is qualified to heal them. God, I pray that you'd be magnified and glorified to take wretched sinners like us, like myself, and heal us. May our singing be strong to praise the one who has paid our debts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.